Somehow I think it's just going to crash somewhere to, toward the end of February, okay? But nonetheless, I'm, I'm always pessimistic about weather. But good morning to you all. We're glad to see you all. And uh, uh, before we get started and, and have a word of prayer to, for our class sake, I, I have a few things that I cherish, even if I don't like them. I am not speaking of my wife, okay. <laughs> uh, I have here a little volume. It's called The Golden Age. When Logan was in my library of, of taking books out, I would not let him have this, okay. <laughs> um, have any of you heard of Arthur Pink, the commentator? Yes. Um, this is a little book co-authored by Arthur Pink and Dr. Luther C. Pink, a theology professor at my seminary. The, um, uh, uh, Dr. Pink uh, was a dispensationalist par excellence, okay? As, as was uh, uh, Arthur Pink in those days, in the 50s. And uh, in the 60s, when I had Dr. Pink, he, he was a thoroughgoing uh, dispensationalist. Uh, by that time, Arthur Pink had repudiated that view and had taken another. But uh, uh, nonetheless, I have this little volume. It's really uh, uh, a cherished thing that I have. I just wanted you guys to see that. You may see it, but you can't have it. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those things. I don't know. As if, uh, I believe that I asked a uh, pastor if he had this in his library, and he did not. So uh, I got a, a bit of a treasure here. Because Pastor has every book in the world, doesn't he? I mean, every. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, let's uh, offer a word of prayer as we begin our study. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask your presence now by your Spirit in our hearts and minds that we attend to the things that are written in your Holy Word. Bless us together. May you instruct us by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. That's just a little aside there. I have some announcements to make. I have an important announcement to make. At my own request, I have asked to be relieved of my teaching duties. My wife and her health is declining quickly, progressing rapidly. Some of the helpers in our family that were helping us have new jobs and are no longer able to help. And so I'm called upon to uh, take the primary responsibilities as caregiver for my wife. It's a difficult time for us. I struggle with it learning all of the things that I need to know in caring for someone with those conditions. Recently, a friend advised me to read a book. Laura, I don't know if you've ever read this. It's called The 36-Hour Day. And it gives you... <laughs> it's, uh, it's about taking care of, of uh, persons with 
Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, that kind of thing. It is extremely demanding. And uh, uh, in my own case, uh, poor Bevy, she is not doing well, and it seems to worsen by the day. Uh, it is very difficult for me to make all services now, very difficult to study um, when all of my attention has to be made to that. But as I recall, I promise to love, cherish, and obey. Did I say that? Did I say <laughs> No. Uh, honor, I think it was, and cherish until we die. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I love my wife dearly. And were I able to, I would proclaim her cured of her condition. <laughs> but I don't have that ability. Uh, but one of the things that I must do is uh, uh, stop teaching. I have already shared it with the pastor, and he'll be sharing it with the elders, I think, this morning. And we have enjoyed the teaching chores, always do. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, teaching and preaching are on the same level in the gospel. Um, uh, preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. Both are interrelated. And so I consider it a high honor to proclaim the word of God and to teach it. I hate to, uh, I hate to leave the chat. I'll still be around, mind you, and perhaps stand in for somebody when they're sick or have other things, maybe I will. Uh, but on a weekly basis, a little bit much for me at this point in time. So we will be stepping down for this. But I have to complete the book of Leviticus. I don't want anybody else to have to come in and finish that out. Turn, if you will, to chapter 21. In the book of Leviticus, we're going to go through this rapidly. Chapter 20 that we have already kind of looked at is what I would like to call, and 21 continues it somewhat, you know, in a criminal trial process, you have the adjudicatory portion, and then you have the sentencing portion. <laughs> uh, uh, and so chapter 20 was like the sentencing part of this, and it repeats over and over again, you shall put them to death. The punishment for unrighteousness, particularly if you look at chapter 20, again, you will say to the children of Israel, whoever is of the children of Israel or the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. Wow. And even those who uh, uh, didn't watch. And if the people of the land should anyway hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they did not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I'll cut him off from his people. Wow. That comports with Romans 1.32 that says when it's talking about all those sins of the first chapter of the book of Romans, and it says, and those who support it are worthy of death. 
It's not just those terrible sins listed, but those who support them or who fail to challenge them when and if they see them. We ought to seek righteousness, the Lord's righteousness, in all cases, and not neglect those. And then, uh, uh, in back at, still in 20, I'm just reviewing real quickly, uh, verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Sound familiar? It should. Uh, it's a New Testament concept as well. Be ye holy as I am holy. And, uh, 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 and so the, all of these lessons that we're talking about and all of the serious things that we're reading about are uh, issues of holiness to the Lord. And in that sense, they are typically, at least, important to us to know. We're very fortunate this side of the cross to have an answer for those things. The Israelites did not. Theirs was a temporary uh, uh, thing, except in some instances. You remember when the, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, was talking about Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness? He said, when did he do that? Was it before the law or after the law? And then he says, in my Bible, with an exclamation mark, before! Before there was a law at all, before there was a Leviticus, before there was a Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It's always been that way, folks. You don't get right with God by keeping rituals. Like here. They are typical We've said that from the beginning. We have talked about the typology of these things. Um, and yet, at the same time, they're actually real for the, for the uh, uh, Israelite in the wilderness who are receiving these instructions from God. And then it says in verse 11, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's uh, uh, nakedness. Both of them shall surely be Put to death. Wow. God doesn't mess around. That wickedness is for the unbelievers, not for us. And the consequences of that here are severe. Let's go to chapter 21 where he changes the topic and he now talks about the priests. He's talked about the people first and now he's talking about the priests. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, verse one, the sons of Aaron and say to them, none shall defile himself for the dead among his people except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter and his brother. Also, his virgin sister is near to him who has no husband for he uh, uh, for her he may defile himself even God has exceptions to the rules for your loved ones 
Otherwise, he shall not defile himself being a chief man among his people to profane himself. The priest was a high standard and was to show forth the high standard of behavior, of commitment, of faith among the people. And for him not to do that is to profane himself. They shall not make any bald place on their heads. Whoa. Make is the key phrase. Sometimes it just happens, Gary. <laughs> nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. You get the idea that they have these habits kind of like we do with our what, ink on us, you know. Um, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. Are we a kingdom of priests? Isn't that what the Bible calls us? Ah, it's be, it applies to us. We're to be holy, for he is holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman. This is talking about the priest now. Nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. He's in kind of an exception. That's not to say that it isn't legitimate to marry a person, uh, 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 a woman divorced or whatever. We don't believe that at all. But at the same time, for a high priest to do that in Israel... That was not good. He is not showing forth the holiness that God displays. Therefore you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I am the Lord who sanctify you, am holy. He's repeating that, isn't he? Be ye holy as I am holy. We had a discussion on uh, um, uh, Facebook about not being perfect. Names shall go unspoken. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, these two persons had comments about they felt like, you know, they were imperfect and, and uh, uh, felt guilty about that and everything and not being perfect. And then uh, uh, I responded to that by saying, Neither one of you are perfect. Just wanted to remind you. <laughs> and none of us are perfect. Our perfection comes how? By imputation of Christ's righteousness. There is a way in which we are seen as perfect. Through the eyes of God, covered over by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We may be imperfect, but we have a perfect righteousness that has been imputed to our account. Romans chapter 5. In that we rejoice. But that doesn't make us physically holy. Would that it could be. Don't we all desire to be obedient to Christ and be holy like Christ was? But we find ourselves striving in that regard. I know I do. And yet failing pretty much on every hand, and then having to go before the Lord in repentance, asking forgiveness, and for his sanctifying grace, and then move on. But isn't that what we're supposed to do? 
moving upward, moving upward all the time. And so this is, uh, these things must be taken uh, as instructions to us as well as to those people, but in something of a figurative or typological way. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 21, he who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, Aaron himself in this instance, and who is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes, nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God for the congregation of an, excuse me, the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot, these he shall not marry. We're talking about the high priest. But he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife, nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, no man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. Remember what he said about animals when they bring there to be without defect. And the same is true with the high priest. For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. How does that apply to us? I've just explained it a few minutes ago. These things that were commanded of them, by the way, did any Israelite keep these laws? Not a single one. Who was it that kept the law? We all know. Jesus Christ. He kept the law. He met its demands. We never have. And in the flesh never will. But we can in the spirit. And so we need to be instructed by these things. By the way, I'm going to go back and uh, since we're speaking typologically and those kind of things, um, uh, this whole issue about the tabernacle, there is a connection, in my opinion, I'll qualify it as my opinion, take it for what it's worth to you, that the tabernacle was something of a connection typologically of Eden. In other words, in Eden, Adam and Eve, had they communed with God face to face. But after they sinned, 
They were thrown out of the garden. And what did God do? He set a flashing sword at the eastern side to guard the way. Aaron's sons found out about that flashing, uh, that flashing sword when they tried to offer up profane offerings and they were burnt to death by light that came out from the Holy of Holies. There's a connection that the tabernacle, the offerings, and all of those things are typologically, uh, are typical of the things of Christ until Christ comes. He fulfilled all of those types. He fulfilled all of those uh, prophecies, but especially these kinds of things. Nonetheless, we can benefit by a study of these if we see the very nature of God. How did God speak to the people in the New Testament? How did Christ speak to them? Parables. So much so that the disciples said, why do, you, why, why do you always speak in parables? Because it is not, dare I say this? It was not given to them to understand. But to you. What? That's interesting theology. Uh, unfortunately, because I am uh, 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 stepping down from teaching, I'm not going to be able to pursue that study in Romans that I wanted very much to do. <laughs> I, I hope that somebody can do that sometime soon. Uh, uh, these things are instructive to us, but in a typological way. They are not, these are not commandments directly to us to do this. Some are saying that, that there are uh, moral qualities to this that are eternal. There may be some truth to that, but the scriptures never define them as that. And uh, we, we find that these things instruct us as New Testament believers too, in that they tell us of the nature of God and they tell us of the wonders of forgiveness that we have in Christ. We've been covered over with a robe of righteousness that's not ours. Beautiful, isn't it? How else will I get into heaven? <laughs> I can't get in there on my own. But I can get in there because I've been covered over with righteousness from Christ. And this is all about Christ. We have called it the, uh, the gospel according to Leviticus. And for a reason we did that. These things are pointing toward Christ. I know that when you get to chapter 22, 23, it sort of bogs down into kind of things that aren't familiar with us. But try to remember as you read through the Old Testament and these difficult books like Leviticus and Numbers and such, that they're meant for us. They have uh, been fulfilled in Christ, but that's the whole point. It points to, typologically or however you want to see it, they point to Christ. It is his righteousness. He did not profane. 
his life. His father. He is holy like his father. Thus we should be too and strive to be holy like he is holy. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, stop and uh, uh, kind of uh, express a notion that I have. I think uh, maybe I'll skip over that, though. Since I'm getting near the end of my, <laughs> my tenure here, um, uh, it's a, a bit complicated. So, I, uh, Therefore, verse 31 in, in, uh, verse 20, in chapter 22, Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Keep my commandments. They didn't. And we don't. Or at least not in the fleshly way. He was to abandon Israel. More than a few times, by the way, they would have a time of uh, progress, a time of uh, success. Then they would go south and God would banish them and put them into captivity. So these things while the one missing element in the, uh, as we've studied the book of Leviticus, the one missing element that I want to make clear before I finish the book, the one thing that is not here that is, makes a world of difference is there is no indwelling Holy Spirit. They're being told to do this as people, just natural people. There is no indwelling Holy Spirit. There is a spirit. He was active in the Old Testament. I wrote my thesis on that, 115 pages, on pneumatology of the Old Testament, uh, the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. But indwelling the believer was not one of them. And so these laws that God is speaking, have dual meanings. I don't believe God is trying to dupe them in any way. He knows they probably can't keep them or won't keep them. But it causes them to look out. They know they cannot meet the righteousness that God requires of them. And what must they do? just as we must when we're witnessing to unbelieving people. We must somehow get them to look out and away to another righteousness. They have to do that. The Israelites have to look out. They have to look out for that later was to be made plain by Isaiah, by a number of of the prophets, a redeemer that was to come, a child even. Interesting, 
These things are meant to cause, they see the demands of the righteousness of God and they know that they can't keep them and they can't keep them. And so they have to reach out for a righteousness that is not their own. That would be a message I would give each of you. Our righteousness is not our own. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And, in, and he is treating these people before Christ has appeared, before the Holy Spirit has instructed us as believers. But we have no righteousness in keeping these commandments. There isn't any. The Apostle Paul called the law a ministry of death and condemnation. It's true. The law condemns. And it's a ministry of death. But Christ is the object of the faith that we must have. Christ is the answer to the law. He kept the law. He earned the righteousness, if you want to put it in that way. I know that that's a little dicey when I say that. But he kept the law. Thus, quote, qualifying himself as priest. He is holy as God is holy. Now by faith we reach out to him. And that righteousness is by faith imputed, laid to our account. By the way, I'm still doing that uh, uh, with grandchildren and, and such like that. I impute money to their bank accounts. <laughs> I call a bank and put money in there <laughs> for the kids in college that are having a hard time to make it and all those kind of things. Uh, that's not an exact example of imputation. But in our instance, the righteousness that we, uh, uh, that we need for interest into the holy of holies, the true holy of holies, it's the righteousness of Christ and him alone, period. That's what the whole book is about, our whole Bible. And this is but the beginning. And you can see the difficulty that it might have posed for an Israelite. I sometimes, as I read this, I put myself in the place of the Israelite, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't do this. <laughs> it's... It's daunting what these things say. To be perfect in every way, for I am the Lord your God. And yet my, my soul keeps telling me I'm not that. And it still does, by the way. But I, uh, uh, I know better now because by faith I have righteousness, not my own i tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to finish up here uh, a little early, I suppose. I have committed to finishing the book of Leviticus because I don't want it. And I think we'll be able to finish it maybe next week or one more after that, perhaps, as we finish these last chapters in the book of Leviticus. It has been a, a, a hard journey, so to speak, um, it is difficult to teach Leviticus um, 
uh, in the same sense that you might Galatians or something. It doesn't fall out in the same way. Uh, we have to make some, uh, we have to transmit ourselves back to an earlier day as to what God was doing with Israel at this time. But we'll try to finish this up. And then uh, I don't know where the uh, uh, new teachers, we are fortunate in our church to have a number of people who are able to teach and to teach well. And so we look forward to uh, hearing from others from the scriptures on all these things. But for now, just slightly early, let's close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, including Leviticus, as difficult as it might be at times. We thank you for it. And it communicates to us about Christ. And it causes us to look out to him for righteousness. And we're thankful that you granted us, enabled us by faith to trust him and to trust him only for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for salvation that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the same salvation that belonged to Abraham and all of those of the Old Testament. Thank you, Father, for such grace, such mercy, and such instruction. Thank you, Father, for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.